And I was talking with somebody just this week. It's amazing me. I mentioned in Sunday school today how many people that name the name of Christ uh, have swallowed the lie of evolution and that things just happened by chance and evolved. And uh, they discount the biblical account of, cre- of creation and uh, that God, the Bible is very clear about this, that God created everything. And without him was not anything made that was made. And uh, if we uh, try to reconcile the Bible with man's thoughts and man's philosophy, it will never happen. Uh, this book was never intended to reconcile with man's thoughts. It was, rec- it was intended to show the error of man's thoughts and to bring us into compliance with God's thoughts. And uh, I'm so thankful. What a song this morning. I appreciate Brother Dan and Miss Carmen doing that. Boy, I... I it takes such a load off as a pastor to have somebody lead music. Not that I mind it. I enjoy leading music, but it just is difficult sometimes. And uh, after preaching three times, sometimes my voice is just about shot by the time I get up here to preach uh, in the afternoon. But uh, anyway, I so appreciate them being willing to do that. Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. I have so enjoyed... Uh, already today, the preaching and, and what God has shown us from His Word. Uh, this book is inexhaustible. It's, it's limited in its pages and the number of words that there are, but its truth is limitless and infinite. And uh, it's amazing to me how after a lifetime of studying it, reading it, there's always something fresh, there's always something new uh, that we see in its pages. It's not new truth. It's uh, just being illuminated in our hearts. We're starting to see some of these things as we mature and grow in the Christian life. Second Timothy chapter 2, and um, let's go down to verse number 14. We'll begin in verse number 14. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure." Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing they do gender strive. Father, I pray that you would bless the message and speak to our hearts. May you continue your work. And as we uh, leave this place this afternoon, I pray that you would help us to be refreshed, to be instructed where needed. I pray that you would help us to be reproved, and Lord, that your conviction, your direction, your instruction would be very apparent, very uh, easy for us to understand and to see, and then, Father, that we would respond appropriately. 
I pray that you'd help us to be yielded to the truth and that we would allow your Holy Spirit to do his work in our hearts. And as your word uh, is taught, I pray that you'd help us to rightly understand it, rightly teach it, and uh, rightly divide it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Paul teaching Timothy here several things, and he, he talks about and uses uh, an analogy here or a word picture here of a vessel uh, that is in a master's house. And we all understand that there are certain vessels that are uh, set aside, those of you that uh, have wives understand this to some degree, I think, and that is that uh, most women have, uh, you know, the special china, um, and uh, they 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 express uh, their love for people by who gets to use the pre- the, the special china. Uh, you know, if if a company comes in, they get the special china. If the husband comes in from work, he gets the paper plate. And uh, but oftentimes there, and we all understand and know what the difference is, that there is sometimes some things that are set apart. And they are only to be used for special occasions. And Paul is teaching Timothy. He said, listen, everybody's, everybody's a vessel. Some are gold, some are silver. He said some are even wood and some uh, are... Uh, uh, are uh, uh, made for uh, uh, some are made of wood and some of earth, and so everybody's everybody's a vessel. Not all of us are made the same. Not all of us have the same position. What determines the value of the vessel is not what it's made of, but what it is set apart for. Some of it is for honor, and some of it is for dishonor. And the lesson that Paul is teaching here is: it doesn't matter whether you're gold, or whether you're silver, or whether you're wood, or whether you're earth. What matters is: are you a vessel of honor? Or are you a vessel of dishonor? And I think we've all heard a message or two in our lifetime probably on uh, this passage of a vessel of honor. And I want us to do a little bit of a study this afternoon on uh, the idea of us being a vessel. And what is, what is it that it all entails? What, what does the Bible speak about uh, regarding this vessel of honor? What is it that God desires our vessel to be? So I, I do have a, a number of points here. If you want to write them down, you're not going to hurt my feelings if you're writing something, have your head down. I know we just had a big meal, and uh, it's kind of warm. And I do have a lot of points, so I will move through them uh, at a pace that hopefully will be adequate for us to get through them and yet do justice to them. But keep your Bibles handy. We're going to turn to several passages today uh, to try to help us. Uh, the first thing I want us to understand about us, our, our vessel that we have, that God has uh, given us and entrusted to us, is that this vessel that I live in is a purchased Vessel, I am not my own. The Bible speaks of that. Look with me, if you will, in First Corinthians chapter number seven. First Corinthians chapter number seven, and uh, I'm going to lay some groundwork here because, in order for you and I to be a vessel of honor, we must understand some things scripturally about our role in this in this whole idea of being a vessel that is set apart for the Master's use. First uh, Corinthians chapter number seven, and let's look in verse number twenty-three. Paul writes this, uh, For ye are, ye are bought with a price, be not ye the servants of men. Uh, we just spent a little bit of time last preaching service on um, uh, beholding what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. And when we considered the manner of the love that He bestowed upon us, we understood the, the price, the sacrifice that was paid for us on Calvary. You and I have been bought 
with a price. Because of that, then God has every right to determine in our lives how we should live. He has every right to tell us what we should be doing with our lives. And the vessel is, if we're going to be a vessel of honor, there must be a recognition of the idea that we do not belong to ourselves. We belong to God. We are His. Uh, we, are, we are set apart for His use. And uh, so we need to understand, first of all, that we are a, a purchased vessel. I was listening uh, a number of years ago to a fellow that was teaching on this subject of uh, giving God first place in your life. And he was a youth pastor, and he was talking about how sometimes kids kind of bristle at that, that concept or that idea. I found in my lifetime that a lot of adults do too, that we bristle at the fact, well, who does God think he is to tell me how I can or can't live my life or how I should or shouldn't live my life? Who does God think he is to tell me what's right and what's wrong? Shouldn't I be able to determine that for myself? The answer to that is, if we're saved, no, we don't have that right. We belong to Him. He has every right. Uh, he bought us with the price. Look with me in Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. And we're going to move briskly through these, but enough that we can understand this. We need to understand, first of all, that we're bought with a price. Secondly, we need to understand that God made us. We just read in John chapter number 1 that there was not anything made that was made. That includes us. God fashioned us. He made us. The Bible teaches us clearly that He knew us before we were even formed in the womb. Uh, the idea that we were going to be here. And Ephesians chapter number 2, look at, in verse number 10. The Bible says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. What are the next three words? Unto good works. We were created for God to be a vessel of honor for Him. God put Adam in the Garden of Eden to, to bless it and to keep it. He was to do a work that God had given him to do. Uh, he was to glorify God, and the only way he could glorify God was in doing the work that God had given him to do. And uh, we need to understand not only are we bought with a price, but God also has the right to tell us these things and to, to dictate our lives and to, and to let us know how we live our lives because he also made us. If we understand those two facts alone, we understand because God made us and because God has purchased us, we do not belong to ourselves. We belong to Him. Our will is not our own. Our will is to do the will of Him uh, that has purchased us and that has made us. Look with me also in Jude, the book of Jude, right before Revelation. There's only one chapter, so we'll just go to verse number 1. Jude 1. And Jude opens his letter as he says this, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. By the way, this is not part of the message, but if we could ever learn to consider ourselves a servant, it would go a long way in helping us in the Christian life. Jude says this, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are what? Sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. We are set apart, we are sanctified, not only from sin, but to God. Uh, Jude speaks of this. He's writing to them that are sanctified. Look with me also in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6.
In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 11, uh, Paul is writing about how we used to be under sin and in the, in the life that we used to live. And he says, and such were some of you. Aren't you glad that's the case? We're, we're not what we used to be. Such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now understand this, that when we get saved, we don't just take our, our forgiveness and the mercy that God has shown us as, as a, uh, a stamp of approval or a ticket to heaven that we just put in our wallets and we go about living our life the same way we always have. But when we get saved, God, God does something beyond saving us from our sin. He sanctifies us. He brings a purifying effect into our lives and sets us apart. He makes us a vessel of honor so that we can be used by Him. Uh, very important that we understand that we are purchased by Christ. We are made by God. That we are sanctified for the Master's use. We are set apart from sin to Christ. And we are to follow after those things. Notice that he says here, and when he's dealing with the past life, I'm going to back up just to verse number 9, and let's read from there down to verse 11. Know ye not that the unrighteousness, uh, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But you are washed. And the contrast that's given here is there was an old life that was lived in the world, and lived in the flesh, and lived uh, following after uh, the... The, uh, the filthiness of the world, the carnality of the world. There was the life that was before we were saved. But when we got saved, the Holy Spirit of God came inside of us and He began a sanctifying work of purging out the old life and allowing us now to walk in the Spirit, to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And so we are bought with a price. We've been created by Him, and we are sanctified by Him. And if we understand some of these truths, it will help us to become a vessel of honor. Not to be the vessel of dishonor, but the vessel of honor that can be used by the Master. Now notice also, as we go to Matthew chapter number 5, Matthew chapter number 5, and let's look in verse number 16. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 16. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Very famous message that Christ preached. Um, boy, I love, I love Christ's messages in Scripture. Have you ever noticed those when He preaches? And the Bible has a full record of it. He, he has a way of striking the nerve, doesn't He? He doesn't mince words. He, he gets right to the point. He nails the nail on the head. And uh, when you're done listening to Christ preach... Uh, there is no doubt what the decision is that you need to be making in your life. And I love how direct he is on some of this. But look with me, if you will, in, uh, let's look at verse number 16. He's dealing here uh, with what, what we refer to as the similitudes. In other words, he talks about you should be like this. Uh, and he talks about the salt of the earth, that we're supposed to be like salt uh, that does not, uh, has not lost its savor. He talks about that we, not, we shouldn't be like, but that we are the light of the world. We are a city that, a city that is set on a hill and cannot be hid. By the way, 
that's a very important thing that we understand this, that when it comes to salt, whether we are savory or not, uh, is something that we can control. And with God's help, we can control it the right way. When it comes to our light, which is spoken of as the third thing, we control whether we put it on a candlestick or whether we hide it under a bushel. But when it comes to being the city that is set on a hill, we don't have the choice. The world still sees us. And whether we are a testimony for good or a testimony for evil, the world looks at that. And it's interesting to me that in the middle of these three things that he gives us, that when he speaks of the city that is set on a hill, he says this, that cannot be hid. Now, I've often asked, as I've read through this, I've asked myself, I wonder what kind of city I am. What do people see? Because he tells us in this Sermon on the Mount that men ought to be able to see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. And notice what he says here, though, as we get to verse number 15. He said, uh, verse number 16, I'm sorry. He says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify uh, your Father which is in heaven. Can I tell you that the purpose of the vessel is to glorify God. Wednesday night we were teaching in Revelation, and we were looking at, in chapter number uh, 7, the attributes of our praise. What should characterize the praise that we give? I I love the song Brother Dan sang this afternoon, uh, I Sing the Mighty Power of God. We don't praise God nearly enough. And uh, the first part of the, the attributes of our praise, there were seven of them given, uh, was uh, blessing and the fact that we are to give blessing to God, the idea uh, of extolling Him. And I looked up the definition of extol uh, in, in the Webster's 1828, and uh, it said magnify, to magnify something, and to give blessing to Him, to praise Him, to bring attention to Him, to help people see Him more clearly. And I thought, oh, that ought to be the, the purpose of every single Christian. That we magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. That we bless Him. That we talk about Him everywhere we go. Uh, I was, um, for a number of years, on staff uh, at a church in Florida with my dad, where my dad was pastoring. And one of my responsibilities every year was to take uh, all of the vehicle tags and get them renewed. And that was always a pain in our, in our county, at least. You had to go and sit for about an hour and a half and wait. You couldn't set an appointment. And you just had to get in line and you had to wait. And um, it was interesting that there was one lady there. Her name was Sandy. I never did know her last name. But her first name was Sandy. And uh, every time she saw me come in to renew the plates, she always made sure that I got to her window. And I always, at the time, because I was so busy all the time, there were times I didn't have time to be at her window. Because I knew when I got there that we were going to spend 20 minutes talking about the Lord. And then we would get to doing the tags. And she just was so excited about the things of the Lord. And she didn't go to our church, but she went to another great church in town, Bible-believing church, and uh, solid on their doctrine. And, and she just could not get over just talking about the things of the Lord. And uh, it didn't matter where she was, she wanted to talk about Him. And I thought, boy, I wish I could be more like that. I wish that there was a way that I could do things to glorify God in front of people and help, see, help them see Him more clearly. To point people to Him, to glorify Him. We spoke a little bit ago last hour uh, about the idea, or I'm sorry, in Sunday school today, about the idea that uh, all that we are, all that we have, everything that we have, our power, our might, our, our victories that we have in our life, everything that we have that we can be thankful for, we owe to the glory of God. 
It's all because of what He has done in us and through us. If we live a life now that is a good testimony, it's not because of what we have done. It's because of what He has done in us. And we need to make sure people know that. If people look at us and say, boy, boy, you've, you've really grown a lot in the Christian life. <clears throat> You're really doing some... God's doing some good things in your life. We need to make sure that they understand that that's not something we have done. But that is something that He has done in us. We need to magnify Him. We need to glorify Him in these things. Look in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. We're a purchased vessel. We're a vessel that's made by God. We're a vessel that is sanctified and set apart by God. And we're a vessel that should be bringing glory to God. That is the purpose of us. Uh, look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 11. Again, a, a passage we just read. <clears throat> and such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And again, we need to point people about those things in our life. We need to point people to Him and give Him glory for those victories in our life. Uh, did I say, uh, let's look down at verse number 20. Uh, is that the one I wanted... Yes, okay. Um, let's do verse number 19 and get a running start. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price, which speaks again of us being purchased. Therefore, because we've been purchased, what does it say we're supposed to do? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit. It's amazing to me how many people live their life the way they want to, and they excuse it by saying, God knows my... Well, you've heard it too, haven't you? God knows my heart. It's sad that all across the country today, there are churches that will stand and teach people, don't worry about the outside. Don't worry about the body. long as the heart is right, that's all that matters. That's not what my Bible teaches. My Bible teaches that because we are bought with a price... Not only should I be glorifying Him in my heart, I should be glorifying Him in my body. And so we are a vessel that should be glorifying Him both inwardly and outwardly. Let's look in Romans chapter number 9. Romans chapter number 9. And uh, let's look down in verse number uh, 21. This is... Uh, Do I have the right passage here? Yeah, there we go. Uh, let's go to um, verse number 18 for a minute, and we'll move on down. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? It's a good question. It's amazing how many Christians complain to God about the way that He made them. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter... Power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. If we're going to be made a vessel unto honor, it has to be because God has been given full control of fashioning our vessel. We've got to be yielded 
to Him. When we come to Scripture, we don't come to it defensive about the way we live our life. Isn't it amazing how prone we are to justify our, our life the way that we like to live? It's amazing to me how often we are not yielded to God in the, in the fact of saying, Lord, I want you to have full control of my life. I want you to fashion me. I want you to make me what you want me to be. We call it being yielded to the Holy Spirit of God. I used to say surrendered. And a number of years ago, I was listening to Brother Randy Casey preach, and he, he said, you know, I, I don't like the word surrendered so much as I like yielded, because surrender has the idea that after a drawn-out battle of wills, finally we raise the flag of surrender and say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. Wouldn't it be far better if rather than struggling with God and finally surrendering, we just begin at the onset, Lord, I'm yielded to it. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. We sing it very often not realizing what we're singing. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. If we could ever learn the truth of that. Lord, I want you to have full control. How am I going to be a vessel of honor if I am abrasive to, if I am rebellious to, stiff-necked, stubborn, towards what God purposes to do in my life. How am I ever going to be that vessel of honor? So there needs to be a yieldedness to the potter. A yieldedness to the potter. Let's look also in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, I'm going to probably end this lesson earlier than I was going to because we're not even halfway through yet. And we'll probably finish it up and do a Part B next Sunday. I, uh, I used to rush through uh, when I had a lot of notes, and I realized time was getting away. And a good friend of mine, Brother Bob Green, uh, who was a missionary, was sitting in the service one night when I did something like that. And after the service, he said, Brother Greg, you're a pastor. You don't have to rush. You're here next week. <laughs> he said, now when I preach, I have to rush because I'm not here next week. But he said, you can always uh, pick up there next week. Uh, so we'll probably do that here. But let's take a look. I've got just uh, two, probably two more points, and then we'll do the other half of it next week. Uh, let's look in Second uh, Corinthians chapter number 4. And uh, let's look in verse number uh, 6. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give light, uh, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power of God may be of God and not of us. Uh, we are the object. Our vessel is the subject. It is the object of God's love. And because of that, we ought to be a vessel of honor for Him. We are the subject of God's love. He's expressly given us His love. He speaks of this, and for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. I want us to notice also this, that the vessel that we have has been entrusted with the glorious gospel message. You and I as a vessel have been given this. Look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, this is probably one of the most neglected truths that we 
even though have a head knowledge of, oftentimes do not live with it in mind. First, or First Timothy chapter 1, and let's look down in verse number 11. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which, notice this, which was committed to my trust. The most precious thing that God has to offer this world is salvation. The gospel message, the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and how a sinner who is lost and undone can have forgiveness and redemption from their sins by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That message, God reached down and handed it in our hands and said, I'm going to entrust this message to you. Now, I need you to go out and share it with the world. God could have used anything He created to accomplish His will, but He chose us. When we consider the fact that we're a vessel, we need to understand that we don't own ourselves. God made us. He bought us. We need to understand the work that God has done in us. He's invested Himself in us by sanctifying us and setting us apart. He's created us for the purpose of bringing glory to Him. He expects us to be yielded and submitted to His will as a, as, a, as a vessel is submitted to the potter's will. He's allowed us to be the object of His own love. And then I want you to, and He's entrusted the gospel message to us. And I want you to notice lastly, He has chosen us to be the instrument to accomplish His work in this world. Look in Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1. He's chosen us to be the instrument to accomplish His work in this, in this world. Isn't it amazing how He ties so many things to the things that we do, of His work to the things that we do? For instance, He ties His power in service to our praying. I don't know why He does that, but He does that. He, he ties... Uh, the work of the glorious gospel being shed abroad to our obedience in serving Him. He's chosen to do this. As, as sinners that have been saved by the grace of God, we ought to count that a great honor, a great privilege to be involved in it. Look with me in Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8. He says, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the world. He's chosen us to be the vessel or the instrument used to accomplish His work in this world of propagating the gospel throughout the world. Look also in Acts chapter number 13. Acts chapter number 13. Acts chapter 13. Let's begin in verse number 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, uh, and Manian, uh, which had been uh, brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, notice this, for the work whereunto I have called them. We are separated to do the work that God has called us. You know, the Bible tells us, I think it's in the book of Romans, for whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. We're to be doing a work of being conformed and, and sharing the gospel. And God has put a calling on our life. He's 
He's preordained this. He's, he's allowed this to be set in motion, that we're to be doing these things. Uh, look also in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, and let's look in verse number 26. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, and uh, verse number 26. Um, let's back up to verse number 23. But we preach Christ crucified unto Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So this is what Paul says we're preaching. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of this world of the world, to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. God didn't choose the, the best, the smartest, wisest, greatest among. God has chosen the simple, the foolish, the weak. I've heard a lot of people over the years when we've preached on serving the Lord and being yielded and being a vessel that is fit for the Master's use and an instrument in His hands to accomplish His work. I've heard a lot of people say this. Well, I can't do that. I'm just this or I'm just that. I don't know enough or I, I don't, I'd be too afraid. Good, you're right where you need to be. It's a fearful thing. I, I, get, I get nervous when... A new man who's called to preach or feels that he's going to go into the ministry, and I've met with many of them over the years, and maybe Brother Dan has done so as well. I don't know uh, for sure, but I know in my experience, uh, there have been a number of times I've met with some fellas fresh out of college or uh, had not been in ministry yet before, and they come in wanting to preach the gospel and to be a pastor or to be a preacher, maybe an evangelist, and they have great confidence when they come into the ministry. And I feel a little concerned. I think there ought to be a boldness, but I, I, I get leery when there's a confidence. Um, it is a scary thing to preach the Word of God. How in the world does a human man, a man that's a sinner saved by God's grace, ever feel adequate to handle the Word of God as a workman that needeth not to be ashamed? How do we ever get in the pulpit and take the precious truth of an almighty and an infinite God and say, I'm ready, I'm, I'm adequate to the task? I, I was, years ago, had read a story of a, I don't know if it was a true story or not, but I, I think it was, and I think the setting was back in the days of camp meetings and circuit-riding preachers. And the young man that was new in ministry was uh, called on to preach. And he strutted up to the pulpit and had the big Bible in his notes and uh, had, had just really had everything just the way it should be, you know. And he came up to the pulpit and he put the Bible up there and he put his notes out. And for the next few moments he stammered and stuttered and couldn't, couldn't really do hardly anything. And uh, he went back to his seat, and his head was down, and uh, he was ashamed. 
And an older preacher that was on the platform reached over and leaned over to him and said this, Young man, if you had gotten up the way you sat down, you might have sat down the way you got up. There ought to be a spirit of humility in a vessel that God has chosen us and entrusted us with His gospel message. And I'll I'll be real frank with you. While it is an honor to do such, it ought to sober us and it ought to humble us because we've got something that is the most precious thing God has. And the truth of the matter is because of our sinful condition, our fallibility, our weakness in the flesh, we are not adequate to the task. And God says that's just the person I'm, I'm, I'm entrusting it with. That's the one I've chosen. And He did it for a purpose. He said that no flesh should glory. I think there ought to be, when it comes to this idea of being a vessel for the Lord, there ought to be a recognition of the fact that God has every right to us. My will, my body, my energy, my mind, my resources... He has every right to them. He created them. He created me. He bought me. He set me apart. He helps me to grow in His grace. He helps me to glorify Him. He's made me the object of His love and His sacrifice. He's entrusted His gospel message to me. And because of all of that, there ought to be a willingness on my part to say, Lord... I'm not a whole lot, but whatever I am, you have to do something with. And let's be faithful. Let's be a vessel of honor. You say, but I'm not a a gold vessel. I'm a wooden one. Then be a vessel, a wooden vessel of honor. I'm not a silver vessel. I'm, I'm an earthen vessel, Pastor. You just don't understand. Well, then be an earthen vessel of honor. But not one of dishonor. And uh, we'll teach a little bit more on that next week. We're going to talk about some of the work of the vessel and um, some, of the, some of the testing, the proving of the vessel. And uh, hopefully it will be a help to you. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for the day. And uh, Lord, help us to understand the magnitude of the truth of Your Word. Help us to understand with a sobering mind uh, the great task that you've entrusted to us.